kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday night, teeny bit after six, and it's another edition of Auntie Nanny. Um, no genie this week, guys. Sorry, so I can't say you know welcome the happy and vivacious Miss Genie K because she's not here. She's off on vacation, uh, enjoying the rainy weather. Um, yeah, she's having a but- rest. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, with me is the very best producer money can't buy, which is fortunate because I don't pay him. <sighs> How are you this week, Barry? Oh, I'm good. Uh, summer, summer finally arrived in Scotland, so it's, I'm fighting heat and humidity. But oh, it's, nowhere it's, near what you get. <laughs> oh, it's summer here. I um put four bags in the trunk when I left work the other day because you know I work at a store, so. I, I do my grocery shopping before I leave because I will not go out there and fight those um, customers <laughs> <laughs> in my off time. Um, well, I mean, you'll be impressed. I mean, we get we get up. I mean, last week, uh, outside the shade, I mean, it was hitting 12, 25 degrees Celsius and mm-hmm. 80% humidity where I that's live. Warm. That's warm for you guys. Well, oh, hell that, yeah. That that day, right? I got all my dairy products and stuff. And I came home, and I live seven minutes from where I work, so it's not really a big deal. But I come home; it's 110 out, yeah. literally. Everything in the trunk was warm. I'm like, that was seven minutes. <laughs> not exactly awe-inspiring. So no, I have to. I mean, put we, my... it's just impressive how warm it does get in Scotland, considering how far north we are. You've, but you've got the perfect conditions for it. Yeah. Well, we don't have pollution in the air, which means, yeah, <laughs> no, nothing blocking the sun. Nice. Um, It's been a really... Last week was interesting. Um, yesterday was extremely interesting. Uh, there were three or four things that happened yesterday that were um, pretty bad. Um... I think we pretty much know that Greece is pretty much prepared to leave the Eurozone. Yeah. I, I think we can say that with confidence. Uh, and they declared a bank holiday. And y- yes. you know how well 
those things tend to go. Yeah, for a whole and, week of bank holiday. Yeah. Yeah, it'll wind up being longer than that. We yeah. all know that. Um, and they limited transactions at their ATMs to 60 euros, yep. I believe. 60 euros, yeah. And um, which would normally be fine. But as soon as they did that, it wasn't 20 minutes later that Puerto Rico gets up, stands up in front of the press and says, uh, yeah, all that money we borrowed, sorry, we're not paying you back. We can't, and we're not even going to try. Yeah. So as soon as that happened, the stock market just went boom, right into the toilet. It was one of the most interesting things I've ever seen. And it, it all happened in this weird six-hour space last night. And yeah. the markets just dropped like a freaking stone. Japan just <sighs> took a belly flop. It, well, it was um, Japan, impressive. Japan did better than China and the rest of the world. Because oh, yeah. Japan has a stable economy. <laughs> Unlike the rest of, of the world. Yeah. Well, it has kind of a stable economy. And the problem with Greece is they pegged their currency. Yeah. Whenever you tie currency to a peg, a peg will always float to find its own level whether you want it to or not. So uh, that's one of the problems with the Greek currency. But um, the reason they say they didn't, they want out of the EU, and I was reading this today, is they were saying they wanted to allow their people to vote on whether to stay in the EU or not. And yeah. one of the conditions the IMF and the World Bank wanted to force on them was that they would no longer like have an election of, of any kind to talk about anything. Which well, it's more complex than that, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the basic gist of it. I mean, it is more complicated. I do. And complex I do sympathise with the with Greece. However, yeah, they did actually borrow all that money. And mm. more than half of it's already been written off. Well, I mean, here's the <laughs> thing. Corruption is, is pretty high in Greece. I think we all know that. Yeah. Anyone will tell you that. The problem is um, they lowered their retirement age to like 55. And everybody gets a pension. Yeah, 62 so, it was, technically. Right. But 55, then you could start collecting. Yeah. Um, and that was recent, which was stupid. Yeah, because uh, they don't have the money to pay for that. They but, have one of the most high-tech armies in the world. Mm-hmm. And they despite really having nobody to fight, no money. Yeah, and, <laughs> and no money. Really, yeah. no money. Yeah, but the the very best weaponry in the world. Yes, and it's just amazing to me when you start looking at the stories of the actual people who live in Greece, people who live on park benches now, uh, people yeah. who couldn't afford to pay their rent. These people never saw any of that money. Nope. And they're the ones getting screwed. It was mostly they the government. It was the usual. It was mostly the government and their friends that saw the oh, money. Yeah, yeah they, they made out well and they're doing great and screw everybody else. And, and, and the Russian oligarchs did quite well out of Greece. Don't they always? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So, that was that. And then Puerto Rico, that was fucking hilarious. I'm like, oh, look, we have our own Greece in America. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Oh, well, you know, let's face it, we've got Greece, Spain, Portugal, Italy, and Ireland over here. Oh, well, you know, whenever All of which they... are close to going down the toilet. <laughs> you know what's really scary? When you look 
back through history, there's only one country that has ever paid back any of the money they've ever borrowed. And I don't think it was Portugal, but it was it was one of those small European countries. Yeah. And they paid back $2 billion one time in 1976. And they're the only country that's ever paid back any one of those loans. Well, And that's how far back you have to go to find somebody who's technically, paid that money back. Technically, the UK did finish paying off its World War II debt to the USA in about, I think it was 1996 or something. Right, but I'm, I'm talking about like the IMF loans and the World yeah. Bank loans. You know, nobody ever pays that shit back. They just borrow it and go, yeah, okay. Yeah. And and nothing ever comes of it. And a country winds up signing away more of its sovereignty and more of its rights. Um, and I kind of got to admit, I'm not in love with Greece. And I feel bad for the people there. Because they don't yeah. give a damn. They just don't want to die. They don't yes. want to have to dumpster dive. They don't want to have to do that work for a living and not make money type thing. Which is happening a lot to the teachers and stuff there. They don't want to look I that just, I, I just I wish, I wish, they could come to better agreement, um, because if they pull out of the EU, it's they're going to have thirty years of complete shit. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, they think it, they think it's bad now, but their politicians are just not telling them how bad it's going to get if they welch on the loans and pull out of the EU. Right, but it's going. They're going to be back to the Middle Ages. Right, but I mean that's true everywhere. I mean, the one thing you and I have always agreed on is the last thing you ever want to do is get an IMF or World Bank loan. That would yeah. be like the worst thing you could ever think of. It's the worst thing for your freedom. It's the worst thing for your ability to make money. Uh, no one should be doing this. Which but is why I was glad that the SNP didn't win the Scottish referendum, because right. otherwise that's what Scotland would be having to do. You know, and I think people don't understand the technicalities behind it, and they're never mm -hmm. going to. Um, which, that's fair. I just like money and banking. So, um, I, I did want to say somebody sent me a new microphone, um, and I can't get all the settings to work with this system and, and Skype and everything else, but I'm going to fiddle with it, and we'll try using that next week, and hopefully you won't hear any hiss or anything in the background. Um, so there's that to look forward to next week. Uh, one of the other things that happened yesterday, I don't know if anybody saw the SpaceX S rocket explode. <laughs> yeah. Elton Musk. <laughs> he <laughs> but, loves building stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> Actually, you know, here's the thing. The Tesla car, Tesla should not be a car company. Tesla no. should be a battery company. Not that, even that. Not. Well, well, actually, have you seen the wall unit they're building? I mean, that thing's pretty interesting, where it's going to actually take... Yeah, unfortunately, with their history on, on on getting battery technology to work, yeah, I wouldn't trust it. Well, what I'm saying is that's what they should have focused on. If mm. they'd have focused on that, at least, you know, they probably would have cleared a lot of the hurdles and fixed a lot of the problems And hey, by now. hey, we're vapors. Tesla <laughs> used up a huge stock of very good 18650 batteries building them damn cars. Oh, they did. And the cars ended up just going on fire, because that's not what the batteries were designed for. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair about the rocket that was going up to the space station, that was the third resupply mission that's exploded this year. Yep. Not not all of them were Musk's. <laughs> no. 
So just this one. Um, and so when NASA watched it happen, because um, they were posting about it, and I saw the film right after it went up live, uh, one of the NASA engineers, you heard it, and I don't think you were supposed to. He went, well, damn, space is hard. Yeah. After, after, <laughs> that's how you knew nobody was actually in that rocket. Well, I mean, as far as this goes, right, mm -hmm. N NASA, well, they did, they spent an awful lot of money on the space shuttle project. Right. Which wasn't actually what they wanted to spend the money on. <laughs> they wanted a, re a reusable space plane, mm -hmm. but the shuttle was rushed through. It was way too expensive. Right. Um... What I'm wondering is what they've done with all the research materials for what they were actually going to build, which they were working on with the UK and Germany. It's called the Hotel Project. It's a space plane which takes off from a runway because it flies like a plane, and but it's got a thing called a scramjet in it, okay. which basically would suck oxygen and fuel in as it was flying through the air mm -hmm. and then start burning that once it reached the upper atmosphere to get into orbit. Oh, I mean, now that makes sense. Yeah. It's a brilliant project. It was it was first conceived 30 years ago. But the American NASA pulled out because they went to work on the um, shuttle. shuttle. <laughs> uh, the British ended up pulling out because, well, we don't have any money. Uh, <laughs> and I think all the remaining stuff was bought up by Germany and God knows what they've done with it because they yeah. don't even have a space program <laughs> yeah well um, they do just an incredibly small one <laughs> uh, but they, they have all the, the as far as I know they have all the br blueprints, designs, specifications and everything for this space plane which when I say space plane it was designed to carry um Something like 25 ton loads. Oh. <laughs> you know, it was a big plane. Right. Um, but yeah, God knows what's going to happen with that. At this rate, NASA are going to be relying on uh, Branson and the Virgin <laughs> thing, even Ooh. though it doesn't exactly fly that well either. You know, it's really funny because uh, I was watching, and I, I shouldn't do this because it, it raises more questions than answers. I, I should never watch like the NASA space engineers do their TED Talks. Yeah. Because I'm watching one of the NASA engineers talk about how they have to get through that upper part of the atmosphere where it's all that radiation and they don't know how they're going to do it. I'm like, you the did it in built. the yeah. 60s. I mean, what what happened to all that research, right? They well, just throw that shit away after This a long is what time. makes me laugh. It's the a lot of conspiracy theorists are saying, "Ha, see, this proves they didn't go to the moon." And it's like, no, it's because they're not talking about the same thing you think they're talking about. What they're worried about isn't the crew surviving. It's all the delicate electronics we use these days. Right. Well, I'm just <laughs> they're saying, a I lot mean, more susceptible to radiation than mm -hmm. stuff was in the sixties. Um, I'm not. I wasn't saying that. I was just yeah. saying, you know, you had the research. You did it in the sixties. You overcame it with, you know, Apollo, 
and tin foil, gold buck yeah. tin foil. That's <laughs> well, I mean, you, you knew how to fix it then. Yeah. You know, I'm, times haven't changed, but you're right. The instrumentation has changed, and everything oh, yeah. is computers now. Where yeah, stuff they didn't actually they didn't have microchips when they went to the moon. <laughs> no, actually, mechanical. Actually, any hardware. sort of um, right. Actually, your phone had like has like a hundred times the computing power of what we went to the moon with. Yeah, I mean the the um, the computers on the Apollo project on the spacecraft weren't what you'd call computers these days. They were hard wired. They were <laughs> it was actual <laughs> wiring. <laughs> yeah, well, there I wasn't mean, microchips. Of, yeah, and a lot of it was instrumentation and relied upon people knowing how to do complicated, complex math that we probably no longer have. Um, not that we don't have training to do. I'm sure the astronauts have to train in well, how to use Astronauts that too. these days are far more technically advanced than astronauts used to be. Right. The guys that went to the moon were retrained uh, pilots, uh, whereas these days most astronauts are engineers. And well, like. they kind of have to be engineers too because yeah. they have to solve all these problems when they they go up in space to fix problems with Hubble and and all this stuff. Yeah, I like space, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great fun. So, I like space, I like comic books, I like money. Uh, I also really, really like the news. And speaking of things I really like, and... So, last week, I saw some news about the Army was putting out their new rules of war. <laughs> And and some people were talking about some stuff that I found kind of disturbing, and um, I mean the Intercept covered it, and and so I put a, a post up, and and nobody noticed, you know, what this post said. Um, and I I find that I'm very uncomfortable with this, not because I'm a journalist, but uh, what is a journalist anymore? I mean, what this show does generally speaking is news analyst analysis um we read the news we pick it apart we discuss its relevance that's news analysis and that's actually considered news in some circles um there's some things that kevin does that Jeannie does that russ does that uh, you know dimitri does that would all technically be considered journalism um so I, I find a, a lot of what the Pentagon proposes to do disturbing. And, and um, uh, you know what? I'm just going to read it. <sighs> Pentagon legalizes killing journalists as law of war. The new laws of war released as part of a book of instructions on legitimate warfare practices approved by the United States military. Pentagon just changed the rules of war to include legitimizing the killing of any journalist they deem belligerent. The new laws of war were released as part of a book of instructions on legitimate warfare practices approved by the United States military. This rule book of sorts details what the U.S. government deems applicable ways of killing those they claim are the enemy, including journalists whose reporting they do not approve of. The manual explains that the Pentagon considers such journalists unprivileged belligerents. That's the word for it, even though they are not, quote, enemy combatants. This distinction is important for the Pentagon since the battles against, okay, very, 
It's is that. Oh, where are you, Sadi? Mut, Mutwata, El Sadir. Makada. Oh, Makada, El Sadir's, Jaish. Jaish, Almaty. Okay. Uh huh. Militia was a fight the U.S. picked over a newsletter America did not approve of. When the military tried to stop the presses, Sadir's army took up arms against the U.S. forces. We don't hear a lot about the media or the government these days because those battles didn't exactly end in the U.S.'s favor. Now the American 1,176-page Department of Defense Law of War Manual, which is a disturbing fucking read, uh, says that it is perfectly legitimate to shoot, explode, bomb, stab, or cut journalists they deem belligerent. They seem to want to make sure they cover all the ways they will kill enemy reporters. They classify that poison and asphyxiating gases are still no-knowns that will not be employed in the war against journalists. In general, journalists are civilians, the manual adds. However, journalists may be members of the armed forces, persons authorized to accompany the armed forces, or underprivileged belligerents. Professor of Journalism at Georgetown University, Chris Chambers, told RT News that he doesn't know what that means since the Geneva Convention, other tenets of international law, and even the United States law, federal courts have spoken on this, doesn't have a thing on underprivileged belligerents. Even embedded journalists with military forces are supposed to be protected under international law. It gives them a license to attack or even murder journalists they don't particularly like, but aren't on the other side, Chambers added. RT notes that the Pentagon did not specify the exact circumstances under which a journalist might be declared an underprivileged belligerent, but Chambers explains that their legal department is going over it, as is the National Press Club and the Society of Professional Journalists. Um, I find that really troubling because I think there's one thing you and I can pretty much agree on. Uh, when they spell it out, it starts out as something that they use against the other side, yeah. right? Um, uh, generally speaking, just like what happens in prisons, um, those things tend to come home to roost. You know? Well, yeah, I um, mean, there there are certain things that they ain't supposed to go around. Journalists are supposed to be untouchable, basically. And so are likes of the Red Cross or the Red Crescent. Yeah. yeah. People carrying press badges and identifying themselves as press. Yet yeah, you can check their credentials and make sure there's they say they who they are. But otherwise you ain't supposed to touch them. Yeah. Same goes okay. for, you know, relief organizations. Exactly. But yeah, th these days they seem to be trying to get around it always. I just I'm always suspicious when they bother to put it into writing. Yeah. When they bother to put it into writing, that means they've taken it to their lawyers, and the lawyers have gone through it six ways of from Sunday, and found a way to apply it to everyone. And, and the problem is not that the fact that it's written down. I mean, although that in itself is is a problem. The problem is what the next person in charge decides to do with it. Yeah. 
that's the problem. We have way too many fucked up laws, I, I, and this is just the one that pissed me off this week. <laughs> also, one reason why it's been written down and being discussed is so journalists know they have this. Yeah, I know. Uh, it, it has a chilling effect. Stay in line or we can do something to you now. Yeah, it's, it's, it creates a chilling effect. I mean, not to me, because I'm nobody, but it creates a chilling effect. It creates a chilling effect on free speech. It creates a chilling effect on the First Amendment. It creates a chilling effect in this country, as if there already wasn't one, right? Mm -hmm. You have some journalists that come into this country, and they slap them in a room in the airport and strip search them and leave them there for about 14 hours asking them the same questions over and over again and we know they do this yeah. and especially if they're covering something like Guantanamo Bay or something the US government doesn't want bought to light yeah. and we know they're doing this so this just gives at, them at the a little same more time, wiggle they also, at the same time they also complain that uh, Middle Eastern countries oh, and Turkey and Israel uh kill journalists <laughs> and they do oh it's terrible oh you shouldn't be doing that and then well, they write stuff like this <laughs> yeah no I, I agree um I just I find it it it's a very uncomfortable moment for me to look at this and how long have we been complaining about the quality of news you're getting you know pretty soon Anyone is going to be afraid to say anything. Yeah, and well, as I say, hence, hence why you seem to be using uh, mostly British comedians or foreign comedians for your satirical news shows in the US these days. Yeah. Obviously, they, they must think that they're disposable. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think uh, Americans are just afraid to say anything. And why wouldn't you be? Anything written down can be done to anybody based on somebody's whim. If you've got a commander-in-chief who on Tuesdays can walk into a room and look at a whiteboard and go, ooh, let's drone bomb this guy. Yeah. We have a problem. We have a problem. So, uh... You just yeah. got hope that the communication lines get mixed up and the person ends up getting packages from Amazon by accident. <laughs> Oops, wrong drones. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, I doubt it would happen, but that would be funny. So no, that Amazon was... actually know what they're doing. Yeah. Mm, well, Amazon has a lot of stuff in their computers that's kind of disturbing. Um, so yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what else happened this week when we were bitching about a flag? <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, passed the. Well, they didn't really pass the TTP. Yeah. But they passed fast track for the TTP, which means when Congress is finally allowed to read this thing, you know, out in the open where they don't have to sit in a freaking basement somewhere and read it one page at a time, um, they're not going to be able to say, hey, this is illegal, this is unconstitutional, we can't do that. And we already know that the TTP, the TTIP, and the trans... the... The, the trade agreement they're working on with the UK, they pretty much take all your sovereign rights and kind of throw them out the window. Um, the water rights for states will be gone. It, there's a lot of really horrendous shit, and WikiLeaks leaked actually 
shit ton. I think it was six or 11 chapters they leaked out of 23. And out of those chapters, only three of those chapters had anything to do with trade. The rest of it was what the corporations were getting from this. And they're getting a lot. Yes. So, um, yeah, so that happened. Um, Some nuts, some fucking nut, some racist asshole went into a church and shot nine people who were nice to him. And everybody in the world jumped up and down and bitched about a fucking flag. Flags don't make you kill people. But they do distract you from the other issues. So politicians, magicians, they're all kind of the same. Look at this hand, but don't focus on the other hand. And they're very, very good at it. Yes. Um, So this was kind of funny. Um, Kids create salt black markets and cafeterias. (laughs) Um, children are creating their own black markets to trade and sell salt due to uh, First Lady Michelle Obama's school lunch rules. During a hearing before the House Subcommittee on Early Childhood, Elementary, and Secondary Education, chaired by Representative Todd Reitka, a school administrator told Congress of the unintended consequences of the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act Perhaps the most colorful example in my district is that students have been caught bringing and even selling salt, pepper, and sugar in school to add taste and to perceived bland and tasteless cafeteria food, said John S. Payne, the president for Blackford County School Board of Trustees in Hartford City, Indiana. It's hard to imagine school food is worse than when I was in high school. The contraband economy is just one example of many that reinforce the call for flexibility with the rules, he said. Payne noted that other problems with the one-size-fits-all approach to providing healthier meals to students, including fewer kids participating in the program and higher food waste. The trend started in 2012 when the school lunch law, which was championed by Mrs. Obama, went into effect. Students are avoiding cafeteria food, Payne said. Most students bring their lunch, and a few parents even check out their children from campus, taking them to a fast food restaurant or home for lunch. Payne also said that school fundraisers like bake sales have been canceled due to the rolls and whole grain items and most of the broccoli and up in the trash in his district. Dr. Lynn Harvey agreed that the whole grain requirements is not working as kids refuse to eat dense and dry biscuits and unpalatable grits. When it comes to whole grain, rich variations of biscuits, grits, crackers, and cornbread, all too often students simply toss them into trash cans. Hard to believe that children don't like what's good for them. Uh, The product dissatisfaction has contributed to a decline in breakfast participation in 60% of North Carolina school districts. Biscuits and corn muffins are part of the state's cultural and regional food heritage, just as bagels are traditional in the Northeast and tortillas in the Southwest, Harvey said. These foods are very popular breakfast items. Yeah, so nobody wants to eat stuff that's tasteless. That's hard to believe, huh? Oh, come on, what's wrong with a nice bit of stuff that tastes like cardboard? <laughs> I don't know. I don't like wallpaper paste either, so I don't think I'd want to be eating that. I, I just think at some point, it, when where is too far? Like, how far into our freaking business do they have to get before we go, 
okay, you've done enough. Back well, off. Well, I, I don't know if you saw the documentary series that Jamie Oliver did on American school meals. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's just a horrifying system. Well, you know... But they wouldn't let They wouldn't actually let him serve properly healthy, nice-tasting food. Because they didn't have all the chemicals in it that apparently have to be in school school meals in the US. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of... He was cooking I... stuff from fresh, <laughs> but it, it wasn't um, satisfying the nutritional requirements. <laughs> well, was, now, don't forget my... crazy. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget my Congress says that uh, pizza is a vegetable. Uh, oh, it's and it's a bread. It's a bread. It's a yeah. meat. Yep. It's a dairy product. It is all foods to all people. It was, it was yeah, he discovered that. He was horrified. <laughs> well, it's a, he walked into one of the schools and they're serving pizza for breakfast. He's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and so, well, it's, it counts as bread, so we're using it as a breakfast food. Yeah. <laughs> that is. <laughs> it was. It was just stunning. Well, and literally, yeah, he was getting fresh ingredients, cooking them. Mm-hmm. Well, but they wouldn't I, let them. They wouldn't let him serve it because it wasn't meeting the nutritional requirements. It oh, was fresh and, food. <laughs> and I'll tell you what was disgusting. When he took the bits of chicken that nobody would eat oh, yeah. and ground it up and mixed it with water and then made it into funny little dinosaur shapes and breaded mm-hmm. it and the kids went nuts over it. I'm like, oh my god. Hard to believe. Oh, in um, the one school he took the mechanically recovered meat that, they'd pro- that the kids would be eating over the course of the year. And put it in a and dumped it in front of the parents and the kids. <laughs> Did you see that one? No, it's I didn't this see that one. Big pool of goo. <laughs> and they're like, "This is the amount of crap your kids eat in a year." <laughs> <laughs> All the parents were horrified, and it's like, "Yeah." And then, yeah, you have Mrs. Obama coming in and going, "Ooh, salt, salt." It's like that's the least of the problems. I don't know. Yeah. It's the fact that all all the all the food schools have to buy are basically made up of chemicals and mechanically recovered meats. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's good for the large food processors. And well, yeah, I it's mean, them that had the, the regulations skewed the way they wanted them to. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a trend, um, mm-hmm. and that that's that's crony capitalism is at its worst. You know, um, I don't know that. Because, yeah, I mean, healthy food doesn't all taste bad. Because, yeah, even chefs like Jamie Oliver, they will have salt in the food. It's called seasoning. Well, <laughs> you just don't overdo it. You're supposed to have seasoning, or yeah. so I thought. human body requires um, a certain amount of salt, after all. It's what makes your brain work. Well, salt and sugar and fat. Mm-hmm. I mean... The brain. Your body's genetically designed to want it, so well, yeah. Your brain is made of fat, so your body wants fat. It's brain food, mm-hmm. and it's amazing to me how everybody's on—well, not everybody, but all these doctors have been on this. Nobody should have fat. Nobody should have cholesterol kick, and you wonder why the people are less and less intelligent every year. Yeah. Just a thought. <laughs> Um, 
Okay. God, there's so much good news. <laughs> I I don't even know what to pick from. Uh, okay. No child left unmined. Student privacy at risk in the age of big data. Might as well get all the kids' stories out of the way. On Facebook, it's the season where parents are posting pictures of K-12 graduations, including moppets and tiny mortar boards. But unlike a generation ago, today's smallest graduates are amassing a big data trail. Just as medical and government files have been digitized, some to be anonymous and sold, all susceptible to breaches, student data has entered the realm of the valuable and the vulnerable. Parents are paying attention. A recent study by the company The Learning Curve found that while 71% of parents believe technology has improved their child's education, 79% were concerned about the privacy and security of their child's data, and 75% worried about the advertiser access to that data. The fear is that the multi-billion dollar educational technology or ed tech industry that seeks to individualize learning and reduce dropout rates could also pose a threat to privacy as they rush to commercialize student data could leave children tagged for life with indicators based on their childhood performance. What if potential employers can buy data about you growing up and in school? Asked mathematician Kathy O'Neill, who's finishing a book on big data and blogs at mathbabe.org. In some of the educational tracking systems, which literally log a child's progress on software keystroke by keystroke, we're giving a persistent score <laughs> as young as age seven. That is, how easily do you give up or do you keep trying? Once you track this and attach it to a child's name, the persistent score will be there somewhere. O'Neill worries that just as credit scores are now being used in hiring decisions, predictive analysis based on educational metrics may be applied in unintended ways. Some worries came to the fore last week when educational services giant Pearson announced that it was selling the company PowerSchool, which tracks student performance to a private equity firm for $350 million. The company was started independently, sold to Apple, then to Pearson, and now to Vista Equity Partners. Each owner, in turn, has to decide how to manage the records of some 15 million students across the globe, according to Pearson. The company did not sign an initiative called the Student Privacy Pledge, whose signatories promised not to sell student information or behaviorally target advertising. 151 other companies, including Google, have signed the non-binding pledge. A Pearson spokesperson said, we do not use personal student data or sell or market Pearson products or services. The data is entrusted to us as part of our work with schools and institutions and is guarded by federal and state laws. From a security perspective, when an education institution or agency entrusts Pearsons with personally identifiable student information, we can work directly with organizers to ensure the data is protected and our controls are consistent with relevant requirements. Uh, it sort of goes on and on and on. But the interesting part is the biggest flame out so far in the ed tech arena has been in Bloom, a company that had a stellar lineup of of support. Wow, I can hear myself. 100 million of it from sources including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Carnegie Corporation of New York. 
In Louisiana, parents were incensed that school officials had updated student social security numbers to the platform. After several other states ended relationships, the last remaining client, New York, changed state law to forbid giving student data to companies, storing it in dashboards and portals. In Bloom announced in April 2014 that it was shutting down. When In Bloom first launched under the name Shared Learning Collaborative, SLC, Vicki Phelps of the Gates Foundation described the venture as a huge app store just for teachers with the Netflix and the Facebook capabilities we love most. The Gates Foundation did not respond to a request for comment. An EdTech industry source said that by launching with a pitch to developers to build apps tailored to the platform, rather than messaging to parents and educators concerned about privacy, Imbloom put itself on a collision course with those concerned parents. One of them was Leon Helmson, who runs Class Size Matters, an advocacy group partially funded by the National Education Association. It opposed SLC Imbloom and its partnership with Wireless Generation, which did educational database work for New York State and is owned by Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. I was concerned about Bloom because they were going to aggregate student data from at least nine states and seek more state partners, and it put it into an easily digestible form, offering contacts to vendors who created educational products. But, she adds, you can't expect vendors to tell parents what they're doing. You need the schools and the districts to take responsibility for telling them what data is being shared for what reason and under what conditions. So it's, it just goes on and on and on and on. So uh, basically, yeah. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if your school's involved with that, you might want to see what data they're putting into the system. What of your children's data is going into the system? Because I think you might have some say over that, being a taxpayer and a parent. Yes. I, don't, I don't have children. But uh, you might want to look into that. Well, you see, yeah, um, it's another thing that you need in the US that we've already got in the UK. We have a thing called the Data Protection Act. So, yeah, they can't just take data and give it out to whoever they want uh, <laughs> over here, you know. The, the parents would have to sign disclaimers to allow oh. children's data to be shared anywhere. We don't so. bother with that shit here. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. I mean, I, I don't know. So, yeah. If your child is in a public school, you might want to see what information is going to where and, and why and well, if they're sticking well, their social uh, security. if they're in public school, yeah, you've got to check. If they're in private school, the data's already been shared. You yeah. guarantee it. Yeah, it's well on on data. Yeah. The, this is a piece from the Guardian yesterday. Why we are resigned to giving our data to corporate spies. The business model of the internet, right? Security expert. Bruce Shiner, in his excellent new book, Data and Goliath, is surveillance. States engage in it for their own inscrutable purposes and, as we know from Edward Snowden, they do it on a colossal scale. But the giant internet companies do it, too, on an equally large scale. The only difference is that they claim they do it with our consent, whereas the state doesn't really bother with that. 
A big mystery for those of us who worry about the long-term implications of surveillance is why internet users seem generally to be unconcerned about this. It varies from culture to culture, of course. The citizens of Germany are more perturbed about it than are the British, but that's understandable because large numbers of Germans had the experience of living under the analog surveillance run by the Stasi. And in the U.S., endemic suspicion of the federal government keeps some people awake at night. But on the whole, across the world, Internet users seem relatively unfazed by what's going on. Why is that? One explanation is that most people have no idea how Internet and mobile surveillance works. And as the saying goes, what people don't know generally doesn't bother them. There's something in that, especially given the speed with which Internet access is increasing in the developing world, where most new users are connecting via smartphones. It's not clear, however, that they know what they're connecting to. Awareness of the Internet in developing countries is very limited, writes Iris Oris, Facebook's head of localization and internationalization. In fact, for many users, Facebook is the Internet, as often as it's the only accessible application. In such circumstances, it's plausible to assume that the realities of corporate surveillance will not be obvious to many Internet users. These conditions do not apply in industrialized countries, however, and it would be patronizing to assume that every Internet user, except for the occasional geek, is a mug. Some people do read the terms of conditions to which they have to agree when signing up to use free Internet services. They fully realize that if the service is free, then you are the product, and yet they persist in using it. Why? One possible reason is that they place a value on those quote-unquote free services. Various studies have tried to estimate what that value might be. A study by the consultancy company McKinsey, for example, asked 3,360 consumers in six countries what they would pay for 16 internet services that are now largely financed by ads. The conclusion was that households would pay 38 pounds, I'm not sorry, 38 euros, 27 pounds a month on average for those services. From this, McKinsey estimated that free internet services generate 32 billion euro of consumer surplus in America and 69 billion euro in Europe. These calculations are music to the ears of Facebook and Google executives who interpret them as proof that the consumer tolerance of corporate surveillance is really evidence of rationalized economic behavior. People put up with companies spying on them because they get a good deal out of it. Yeah. No, I, I would more go with the average user is dumb and doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. I see and it every single day. <laughs> I like when you try to tell somebody, look, here's an app that's going to make, it's going to scramble your phone, it's going to scramble your text. All you have to do is put it on your phone and, and people will go, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Really? It's an app. You just click on it and buy it, and it installs. There is no messing with stuff. It's not like you have to download a program. It's it's there. It protects you, you know, as much as you can possibly be protected on a phone. And they're like, yeah, I'm just not going to. That's like the people who don't want to pay change their freaking passwords. Hey, I don't uh, like changing my passwords. I don't like changing mine either, but, but you know, but mine, mine come minor. up as usually come up as uh, um, very difficult to break when you you check them on 
password checking sites. So yeah, mine are like 18th century portions of 18th century legal text. Nobody is going to break <laughs> that. Yeah, I, I, mine, mine are in plain language, but plain language that 99% of the world don't use. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and that, I mean that's just the way I roll. Um, I don't know when I got so paranoid about privacy, but uh, Facebook has definitely freaked me out a lot with a lot of the stuff that they've done and, and they're doing. Um, so... But, but Zuckerberg doesn't care about money, honest. Yeah, he got his. Fuck the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's that. Um, so, what did you think about uh, before, because... We're going to have to get Alex soon, so... Um, what did you think about the GCHQ story? Well... Which one? The one about its staff? Yeah. Well, of course they monitor their staff. Jesus. It's <laughs> excessively? The it's <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't consider it excessively. Um, let's face it, it's probably the most highest tech building on the planet of course they're a little touchy about what the people who work there get up to <laughs> right but I mean some of the Snowden release tells you how efficient what they do in there is so yeah they really need to keep an eye on people well, that's why the they haven't had a leak <laughs> that's why they haven't had a leak uh, directly well I've got to say the, t the Taurus thing when I was <laughs> yeah. reading that that freaked me out because mm. that was just one word so yeah. if you really and, and we'll get to this i guess after alex if you really go through the snowden documents which will give you a massive headache it's it's like trying to read the fucking affordable care act <laughs> i've done i've done i've read those millions of fucking pages um they will give you a massive migraine um, it's kind of the same thing trying to read through some of the Snowden documentation only because I understand what surveillance is I'm not involved with it and I don't think that way so I have a very hard time grasping more I think I have a hard time grasping the why than the what yeah um, oh did you see uh, Mr. Robot this week eh no no oh my god I actually really liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, I actually sent you the link for it. It's, it's, in, it's in your Skype window. Yeah. I sent it to you a couple days ago. Which you'll like or you won't like. I liked it. <laughs> it was kind of about hackerish culture. Um, and just how they see the world. And that was really good. And I'm probably going to... That's That and iZombie are probably going to be the shows I spend most of my time watching now because <laughs> I didn't like TV but the more of this shit I read uh, the more I need an escape from it yeah, yeah. pretty good um, actually I, the Taurus story doesn't seem too long does it no nah, it's not like 74 pages and some of the stuff when it goes into show notes, it's like 74, 75 pages. So it's hard to know when to cut it off. Taurus has one word in the Snowden leak revealed a huge expansion in surveillance. 
In a guest opinion post for Wired, journalist and researcher Duncan Campbell describes how a one-word clue in a document leaked by NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden may have revealed a massive increase in the surveillance capacity of GCHQ and other spying agencies. Campbell is named a contributor in the report published on 28 May 2015 by the Nautilus Institute of Berkeley, along with Desmond Ball, Bill Robertson, and Richard Tainter. Tainter, what a name. The world of massive communication surveillance that former intelligence contractor Edward Snowden has exposed since 2013, in fact, began more than 50 years ago. As soon as Western nations first connected across the oceans using geostationary satellites. At that point in time, the U.S. paid for allies, mainly Britain, to build the Echelon spy network of tracking dishes, according to published memoirs and published documents leaked by Snowden. Britain's electronic listening agency, GCHQ, copied what the satellites sent and sent what the U.S. wanted back to America, including, until 1974, unlawful material about its own citizens. It's always enlightening to read this shit. On Sunday, May 31st, the U.S. Senate is to hold a last-minute emergency debate about whether to kill the Patriot Act. The Act's powers, yeah, right. So, yeah, okay. So it took them 50 years to... <sighs> legal restrictions they put in place on the NSA after Watergate scandal of the 1970s have been... When optical fiber submarine cables replaced satellites to form the intercontinental backbone for the internet, the snoopers moved over and trapped fibers instead. If you now remember early bird, Intel Stat 1 in the 1960s, or the ever bigger communication satellites ComStats that followed, or so it seemed, until an international group of spy agency watchers, including the person who wrote this, compared notes and realized that another great eavesdropping expansion had been taking place in plain sight. We were alerted by just one word published in a Snowden slide last year, explaining a new plan by the so-called Five Eyes listening agencies to collect it all. That word was Taurus. What is Taurus? In literal terms, the word can mean donut, though from the slide it appeared that this donut has special properties namely being a critical new means by which to grab all of the world's communications that still travel through space. Taurus increases access, one cryptid's cryptic slide suggested. We looked and we found. Taurus is a brand new kind of satellite espionage capable of soaking up calls and messages and data from 35 satellites at once. The dishes themselves don't look too different to familiar space tracking dishes and can be hidden inside great inside giant white globes, rain domes. But look more closely and the power of the donut emerges. Specifically, a Taurus dish can monitor 70 degrees of the sky without moving. Mathematically, the dishes are a combination of a parabola with a spear, shaped to relay multiple signals focused from a space into an array of different listening horns. Once collected, all the different facets of modern communications from Facebook to fax are separated and sifted and filed away in giant data centers, such as the NSA recently built near Salt Lake City. Over the last eight years, we believe our own research shows Western spy agencies have built six new Taurus collectors in the UK, Cyprus, Oman, Australia, and New Zealand. Their locations are diverse, deep in the Australian outback, 
in the Lord of the Rings territory in New Zealand, South Island, and on the Devon coast in England. About 400 commercial communication satellites now orbit the equator 24,000 miles above the Earth's surface, carrying data and telephone signals to remote areas, ocean cruise liners, and privileged passengers in the air. All are targets for what a leaked NSA document calls the, quote, new collection posture. The agencies have already have already had more than 200 traditional tracking dishes scattered around the planet. We counted them all using Google Earth and other online imaging sites. The online images show that the numbers of listening dishes have doubled since about 2000. The six new donut dishes can double this up again and collect it all as claimed in top secret Snowden slides, potentially increasing snooping capacity by up to 200 satellites. The long history of Taurus. But the Russians got there first, we found. The grandmother of all donut dishes had been built first by the former Soviet intelligence service in the final years of the Cold War before 1990. Lurking in the Ukraine wheat fields, 15 kilometers from the Black Sea port of Odessa, the Ovidpol II spy base may once have been the electronic jewel in the KGB's crown. Former Russian spies say they called it the comb. Standing 10 stories high and 80 meters across, the Ovipod 2 listening antenna appears to have been equipped to track at least 20 Western satellites at once. After the USSR broke up, it was handed to the Ukraine government's Foreign Intelligence Services, SCRU. The site is still in use and now includes a second Taurus. Meanwhile, Britain's own satellite intelligence gathering is less secret than ever. The original Five Eyes Satellite Monitoring Project, Echelon, has become widely known after the European Parliamental Inquiries into Satellite Monitoring from 1999 to 2001. After controversy subsided, however, the stations kept getting larger. In 2004, the German Foreign Intelligence Agency, BND, took over NSA's large phone stat site at Bad Elbling, Bavaria, but continued to allow NSA to remotely task selectors to the equipment operated at the site. In April this year, a German parliamentary inquiry determined that BND had improperly allowed NSA to use tens of thousands of selectors to collect intelligence on the European Commission and other European government and commercial targets. Other reports, quotes claimed by BND staff that said some improper and potentially unlawful targeting by the NSA had been deflected and blocked. Our research has uncovered how mass surveillance of satellite communications has grown. There are new two, 232 antennas available in the sites identified, almost double the capacity before 2001. The new unique aerials mean that the potential capacity has quadrupled. So. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Only the best news. So, and I stuck that link. You want to see that report, which yeah. I've read, and it's. Gosh, it's a fun read. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the UK is com yeah is completely covered with lots of yeah. interesting dishes of various types. Well, it's just kind of funny how everything circles right back around to the NSA. The NSA yeah. gives it up, a foreign government takes it over, and the NSA still uses this, you know, the capacity, well, which is weird. That plus, yeah, yeah, our lot are nice and complicit and help build it. It's like, yeah. 
GCHQ comes up with a new idea. The NSA <laughs> go along with it. They build new shit and share all this data with each other. Yeah. You know, but at some point, won't you have collected so much you'll never be able to do anything with it? They're already at that point. Well, right, but I'm... <laughs> right, if you're allegedly trying to stop crime. Yes. How much well, is too much? Well, yeah, they're always very evasive when they get asked directly, so how many terror plots have you managed to detect and stop due to all this data? Because they haven't. <laughs> I think I think they were claiming seven at one point. Yeah. Or at least my government was claiming like seven. I'm like, really? Which yeah, and seven? Some, some of them. Some of them. It turned out no, it was old-fashioned techniques that had actually triggered the investigations for most of them. Like, the metadata came later, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's like that guy was acting dodgy, so we we then looked at his metadata. Well, we had no. his metadata, yeah. but then he started acting weird, so we just used it. Yeah. <laughs> so, should we see if Alex is ready? Yes, I shall try and add him. Let's see. Good evening, Alex. How's it going? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Oh, John, you've gone quiet. Still? No, nope, there, there you are. are. Maybe not. Uh, hopefully not tonight. Good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 6-29-2015. Hi, Alex. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. So what has been happening lately? Well, uh, things seem to be quieting down a bit. Um, I'm always good to start off with some good news. Um, the New York State Legislature adjourned last week, and uh, they managed to do that without passing any horrible anti-vaping legislation. Um, I think as uh, for those keeping score, uh, the only bill I believe that was signed into law was actually a bill that was passed last year, um, but that was the child-proof or child-resistant packaging bill. Um, and I believe there's already been a few, um, three or four manufacturers um, not necessarily based in New York, uh, I think that were served with some, some hefty fines. Uh, and I think it was like $90,000 all said and done between four, three or four different uh, manufacturers. Um, so uh, anybody interested in researching that, go ahead. I, I don't have that information in front of me, but uh, <laughs> suffice to say, uh, child-resistant packaging is uh, the law of the land in New York State, but uh, no flavor ban, no taxes, no indoor use ban at the state level, um, and just a, a friendly word of caution. Uh, indoor use bans have been creeping across New York State county by county, so 
Um, just because the state legislature has adjourned does not mean that your county legislature won't do something silly. Um, so uh, everyone should be paying attention to that. Um, and then what did we do for Connecticut? Um, we released a call to action for Connecticut uh, late last week. Um, I, I'm trying to remember everything. Uh, <clears throat> there were three or four bills in Connecticut this year. Um, and I'm not exactly sure the, the mechanics of all of this. Um, so we had three bills in Connecticut. And um, right now, the concern is that uh, a tax bill or tax language uh, will be inserted into something and moved along. Um, so we don't have a bill number. We, I don't even have language. Um, we just have a tip, a credible tip, that taxes are back in play in Connecticut. Uh, so uh, everybody in Connecticut, please take a moment and check out our call to action for that. We're asking people to reach out to the House and Senate leadership, and we've posted uh, email addresses that are available and uh, provided their phone numbers. You can also send them a pre-written email through our system. Um, and of course, the phone calls uh, are very helpful. Uh, they love talking to live human voters in their districts. Um, and uh, some of these phone numbers, you, you may get their legislative aid or their, uh, you know, some sort of staffer. Uh, that's fine. Those people are, are paid to take down your messages and relay them to the, their respective lawmakers. Um, so let's see. That's that. New York, Connecticut. Um, I... I haven't put this together yet, but I got this from your um, your daily nicotine email list jam. Um, I, can, I can do a little. It's not self promotion if I do it. For those of you who don't know, Jan Johnson puts out a. I don't even know what to call it. it it's kind of a an it's online a, newspaper. A, yeah, paper li. Paper thing. li. Yeah. Um, which has a collection of uh, vaping-related, nicotine-related, smoking-related, other uh, kind of policy-related articles culled from the Internet. Um, and uh, I have found it to be useful when I have the opportunity to sit down and comb through the headlines or the patience to do it. Um, unlike Jan, I, I don't have a lot of patience to sift through the news and find these useful bits, um, which is why it's good to subscribe to it. It's, it's the Daily Nicotine, right? Yeah. The Daily Nicotine, the uh, appropriately named paper LI, uh, Daily Nicotine. <laughs> um, and so in last week's, I guess this was this is almost a week old, um, and I, I'm going to butcher the name, I think, Snohomish, uh, Snohomish County, Washington. I, I debated whether or not the S was silent. So uh, if 
if you are a resident of Snohomish or Nohomish County, Washington, um, and please send your complaints to takeaction at gasa.org. Um, be sure to mention that you heard me butcher the name of your county on the CASA podcast, uh, and and we'll we'll hook you up with a, a free uh, membership to CASA, um, <laughs> which, is, which is everybody. It's free for everybody. Just to yeah. full disclosure there. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Snohomish County in Washington, uh, their county board of health is soliciting comment from residents regarding uh, possible implementation of a countywide indoor vaping ban. Um, and I'm working on this tonight. I'll be emailing that out to um, county Snohomish, Nohomish County residents. Um, and uh, I didn't, I've read the article when I saw it, but um, I, I, right at the moment, I'm treating this as if they are looking for information about um, indoor use, yeah. but uh, you never know with everybody participating in this, they may very well <clears throat> try to adopt some other regulations. Um, and of course, Washington State already passed, um, is it Washington State or Oregon? I get the two confused from a regulatory perspective, but um, uh, I believe there's already a couple of bills in Washington State that uh, affect things, but no indoor use ban from what I understand. Is that correct? Yeah, not yet. Okay, good. But the big thing in Washington State was taxes. So um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, and so the county is looking at uh, getting your input. There is a hearing on Wednesday, July 1st. Uh, this is a subcommittee hearing. This is not um, uh, a big, uh, this is not an opportunity for public comment, uh, but the public is welcome. So I would uh, suggest if you are engaged in this issue and, and can make it to that hearing, it would be probably very useful to go and see what the uh, Board of Health already knows, thinks they already know. Um, on, on their county webpage describing uh, the, the vaping and vapor products process that they're going through here. They have a, an interesting um, illustration of what an electronic cigarette looks like. Um, it's really close to a mod, but then it's, it's just not. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's pretty bad. So safe to assume that the Snohomish County Health, the Board of Health, um, really, really need your help um, <laughs> to understand these products. <sighs> yeah. No, they're um, and and most health departments just seem to get their information from you know the American Lung Association, Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, Stan the Mechanic. I mean, they have no input from actual people who use the devices, and you can tell. You can just tell by the, the silly things they say and what they uh, attempt to write into their ordinances. You know, yeah, it's, just, it's usually when that, when that discussion tends to go off the rails. And, you know, if we're talking about an indoor use ban yeah. and the discussion starts to lean or 
full-on tilt towards um, you know flavors and the children are putting other things in these devices or whatever um, oh, yeah. it's it's pretty clear that they've been getting their information from uh, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah they're not getting they're not getting good information. They definitely could use some help. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that we're, we are, you know, trying more and more to get involved with. Well, not so, not so much get involved with, that might be the wrong way to put it, but um, to engage at the local level. And, and, and we're doing what we can right. to put these alerts out as we get them. But it is, um, it's not as accessible for us to to do these things um, as the, as it is at the state or federal level because of just the tools at our disposal. Um, but uh, it, it is really really important for people to remember that uh, a lot of state laws start out as local ordinances, and yeah. um, you know, in the absence of, of state legislatures being in session. Um, you know, your, your, your city council and your, your county government or municipality are going to be uh, taking a look at this issue. And I, I think I had seen, I don't know if it was Stan's uh, post or somebody, somebody had quoted him somewhere saying that, uh, you know, 350 cities, counties, municipalities around the country have passed some sort of, of regulation regarding electronic cigarettes, be it indoor vaping bans, or uh, I'm not aware of many counties that have passed packaging laws. Um, and of course, we have Montgomery County in, uh, in Maryland that passed a tax. Um, Juneau, Alaska passed a tax. Yep. So, and DC, I believe, uh, I think that might be tomorrow, actually, we're, we're looking at, at the, the District of Columbia considering uh, a 70% wholesale tax on vapor products. So, um, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's not the world's greatest news either. And then that, that alderman from Chicago. Oh, my God. You I, read I what I he said. It. I, 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 I may have read it, but I, I it's okay. The... Um, he wants to raise the tax on smokeless tobacco. He wants to raise it thirty percent, and they've already passed a tax increase this year. But he says the budget shortfall is too much; so they need to raise it. And then you know he says, well, since smoking rates have gone down, we need to look at other ways to generate income. For instance, there are other things we could tax: sugar, soda, electronic cigarettes. I'm like, oh, these people, they just don't stop. Yeah, that's one of those instances where the, the you know, almost the, the, the hypocrisy is, is sort of glaring. Uh, and, and I don't even, I, I guess they don't see it themselves or maybe to the rest of the world, it's smoking and tobacco, nicotine, whatever is, just such an evil thing that it doesn't strike them as odd. But I, it, it, I, now that you bring that up, I, I think I may have tried to condense that into a tweet and, and found it very difficult because, uh, you know, it, it's hard to get all of those words into one 
140 characters plus the link saying, you know, and this is, this is probably the second or third time I've, I've heard some sort of public official say this of essentially well, we just need the tax money, you know, yeah. I you mean, know, it, it's, it's not about public health. It's that, right. and 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 it, it's always preceded somewhere with that observation that smoking rates are declining. Yeah, I mean, isn't that wasn't that the whole point of all of this, of all of this ridiculousness with with public health and and we're going to ban everything here, 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 and here. Here's an alternative that's not hurting you, that's not hurting those around you. Uh, you know, we've done, we, we, the community, have done testing, significant testing on it. We believe it to be safe. You know, to bystanders, we absorb, you know, well over 90% of the whatever. And yet... <laughs> There they are, like, oh, well, we need to tax it and we need to ban it because it looks like smoking. They might as well just say, we want your money and we don't want you to have any fun. I mean, that would definitely be honest. And um, did you see what, and you maybe didn't, did you see what the man who's in charge of the Cancer Council in Hawaii, did you see what he said yesterday? You know how they uh, raised no, this? I missed that. Okay, they raised the smoking age to 21. Okay, now they, they, they banned smoking in all kinds of places. He stands up and says, okay, well, because of the way Hawaii has structured its payments into like the cancer research hospitals and stuff, they're like, we're not going to get as much money since you've banned smoking. Really? You don't you don't find that statement a little hypocritical at all, do you? Yeah. And it doesn't bother them to say this stuff. It's ridiculous. And then he also talked about, well, you know, maybe we could tax fatty foods or, you know, obesity. Where did where do these people come from? Can we tax idiots? I think we should. I think we could make a hell of a lot more money taxing morons. The part of me feels a little icky saying that, but maybe that's because <laughs> I, 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 you know, as I'm and, and following this this discussion on uh, on our issue, it, it's you know it, it, the the ways in which things, especially you know, vice and uh, luxuries and stuff like that, the ways the, the way that those things are taxed is. Um, it's it's predatory and it, and it doesn't it doesn't really feel very good. Um, so yeah, I, maybe if we could just make stupidity hurt a little bit, it doesn't have to. There has to there should maybe there isn't any kind of government sanctioned uh, financial consequences to that. But uh, yeah, it's people should just not be allowed to fail upwards. <laughs> well, I mean. I understand, the, but these people are making these statements, and I, I don't understand how nobody's calling them on it. It's like Stan and his, you don't need e-cigarettes. Smoking rates have fallen. What? Yeah, that's an interesting... Um, I, I, I had started reading um, Dr. Siegel's analysis of that. I had read um, Carl's post on that. Yeah. Uh, I haven't gotten around to Dick Puddlecoat's 
oh, blog I, post. I, yeah. <laughs> I've read Stan's uh, circular reason. I've never seen a person actually prove themselves completely wrong with their own research and then publish it and act like, see what a good job I did? It's the most circular reasoning I've ever seen in my life. And it, it fails when you look at it. We know why smoking rates have dropped 30%. It is taxation. That is part of it. But the fact is there is something else out there. And people like it. It's yeah, not and it, punishment. And, and, and people have been gravitating towards other smoke-free alternatives for, you know, yeah. more than a decade uh, prior to electronic cigarettes coming onto the scene. Yeah. So, yeah, this, is, this, isn't, uh, <laughs> this isn't necessarily new. Yeah. Well, you know, he thinks he deserves all the credit for it. I'm like, no. Actually, I think Stan and his ilk, they, they deserve some credit for people dropping e-cigarettes when he made all those statements about how dangerous it was and going back to smoking. And that, to me, is ridiculous. I, I think, and I know we can't, but if we lived in a perfect world... We should be able to sue them for that. Well, you know, it's, and I know that other smarter people have kicked around the idea um, other than me. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the states took the tobacco companies to court for misleading consumers about the dangers of their product. Um, I, I don't, <clears throat> I, I find it hard and hard, harder and harder as this conversation goes on <laughs> to separate what the tobacco companies were punished for, uh, from what some of our self-appointed public health advocates are, are saying to the public. Yeah. Um, they may not be selling a consumer good in the traditional sense, but they are, imposing these these misinformation campaigns on people and to some extent uh you know th there will be avenues that we can uh take advantage of to yeah. hold government agencies accountable um i, I don't want to get too yeah, much into it because it's out of my wheelhouse at the moment but mm -hmm. um you know too. there are there are things in the pipeline for people to, yeah. to be paying attention to um coming from us uh, and, uh, but yeah, I, it's at some point down the line, I, I think that these health organizations should really, really take a step back and, and consider the amount of liability they are exposing themselves to because, uh, there are tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of smokers out there who have likely not tried these products or stopped using these products because of the fear mongering that they've that they've done. You know, um, when John Banzaf ran Ash, Ash US, okay, for, for those who think I'm talking about something else, when he ran Ash US, he used to sell a lawsuit kit. And what that lawsuit kit did was it sued public boards of health. Like it was all pretty much pre written. You just selected your state wrote in the names of the people on your board of health for not enforcing 
indoor smoking bans and this and that and this and that. And you paid your filing fee and, and you got your ban passed because no one wants to be sued. It's just kind of a shame we don't have a, a clever lawyer thinking about doing something like that where people could, say, buy a kit for 20 bucks and, and sue these health organizations en masse. It's just an idea. I'm not saying anybody should do it. I'm just saying it's just an interesting idea. <laughs> you know. Oh, I, I totally, I totally, I, I totally took that as somebody should do that. Um. <laughs> well, somebody should, but uh, not me. <laughs> yeah, but, I, the, the, I, I don't have the legal prowess, obviously, to do that. Yeah. But, uh, I think it would be. At least, I think it would be interesting. Let me put it that way. I think it would be interesting for them. I think it's kind of like um, flooding them with FOIA requests. If you right. do stuff like that, it it takes people away from spreading misinformation. You know, I mean, just thinking of it that way, it's interesting. You know, it, yeah. it takes part of their money that you know away from that, and I don't know. It just seems like I don't know. They used all these tactics on us when we smoked, I mean, and they worked, I kind of wonder why, uh, never mind, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> well, it's, I, I, it's a bit different. It's, you know, we're not fighting for prohibition. We're not, I know. we're not, we're not fighting for, to, to make law. We're, we're to some extent fighting to, um, and, and this is going to bring me to a, a, a different point, but, um, uh, you know, we're fighting to make sure that laws don't happen. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I think as these indoor use bans and other stuff gets implemented, mm -hmm. it actually provides a bit of an opportunity to go back and change those laws. Um, and I, I, I don't exactly know the, all the details of, of how that happens, but, uh, you know, it is possible um, and especially with all of these municipalities that have gone and defined smoking to include the use of a smoke-free vapor product. Right. Um, and the one example I have is Asheville, North Carolina, which I, I was just there last week. This was my vacation. Um, right. And um, I, I thoroughly enjoy Asheville, North Carolina. It is the, it is the freakiest town in the country, or at least it was at one point. Um, someone actually named them the freakiest town in the country. Um, it's great. You know, there's live music on just about every block. Um, there's tons of art and, and lots of wonderful food. Uh, and, and people are very nice. Um, but they, I guess, a few months ago, amended their smoking ordinance and uh, it was simply smoking equals vaping. Um, and But the thing about the Asheville smoking law, at least how I remember it, and I, and I went, I double-checked this week, or last week, right. um, the law is written in a way that if you choose to prohibit smoking in your establishment, you just put up a sign and right. smoking is prohibited, mm -hmm. and the city backs you up. For the most part, pretty much everywhere, it, I didn't walk into a single establishment that allowed smoking, um, but it's it's all of the businesses and restaurants have made the choice to be smoke free. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with including vaping in that is that some of the more enlightened business owners 
might want to allow vaping, but they can't um, unless they also allow smoking. So what is, has happened, I, I feel like we may have talked about this before, but Asheville residents now have an opportunity to go back to their city council and say, you need to separate vaping from smoking. If, if, if restaurants and other establishments want to prohibit smoking, that's fine, but they may want to allow people to vape. If they want to prohibit vaping, then they can do that too. It's just, we need a separate definition. So, um, and I, I believe the, the, the change that happened this year was it applied to uh, city-owned parks uh, and some other outdoor spaces. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it's at some point, I think that the tactics that you were just talking about uh, may very well come in handy when we're talking about changing laws. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. They did it. It worked for them. I, I'm not saying it would work for us, but I'm, I'm saying I, when they're saying these things that are possibly endangering people's health, isn't that a crime? Especially if it's untrue. Yeah, there's a, there's certainly a moral issue with it. I don't know if, uh, yeah, I you know, know the, 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 you know, when it comes to crime, I guess it depends on what the law says. <laughs> so, somewhere deep in the code, I'm sure that there's something written about that, and, and somebody should probably dig that out. Mm. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm just tilting at windmills here. I do that sometimes. But, uh, yeah. So, a anything else in the pipeline, Alex, or? Not yet. <laughs> um, the, the 4th of July is coming up, so I think a lot of people's minds are kind of on the holiday. Uh, it is summertime, uh, so I, I assume that making laws generally unpleasant during the <laughs> time of the year when most people are supposed to be in vacation mode. Um, so it, it's likely to be, um, I say that knock on, knock on wood, um, it's likely to be a quiet few weeks here. Um, we do still have, um, uh, yes, we do. I, I'm trying, I wanted to, um, uh, I'm not in my normal account. Um, there are still several state legislatures in session, um, about a half a dozen or more. Um, I have to, I have to sign out of my, uh, Kassad Gmail and <laughs> sign back in to my Gmail to get this, um, I'm going to read off. I'm going to read off this short list because I was thinking about it before, and um, this is the only, this is the first time this year that I can read this list and not spend the entire podcast talking about it. <laughs> so, uh, the following states are wrapping up their legislative sessions tomorrow: Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Delaware, and the aforementioned North Carolina. Nice. Um, the remaining states that we will be looking at closely for the rest of the year, uh, Oregon ends uh, July 11th. 
California goes until September 11th. Of course they do. Massachusetts goes until the middle of November. And then right up until New Year's Eve, we have Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And New Jersey's legislative session goes until the 2nd of January, 2016. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it. I was going to say, gee, I, I thought it was only the worst states that like dragged it out forever. No, no. Massachusetts and, and New York and California, they only drag it out to like mid-November at worst. can't believe some of these states run to the new year. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These people just don't really want to take a break. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, these are, you know, New Jersey. Uh, there's a lot of people living here um, and uh, they like to law. Um, <laughs> Pennsylvania <laughs> as well. Um, you know, um, I, I don't quite know Pennsylvania's story. I lived there for, for over 10 years, but that's Pennsylvania. Thankfully, we have some uh, some very uh, tuned-in advocates in, in Pennsylvania that are yeah. very active and, uh, and and working diligently on keeping keeping vaping accessible in that state. So, kudos to them. Without naming them, you know who you are. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, so <sighs> yeah, plenty of fun times ahead. Um, this handful of states is likely to keep us somewhat busy for the rest of the year, but nothing like we saw the first four months. That um, was, yeah. The, the first four months were kind of like a, a nightmare. So this is kind of nice. Should give us a chance to focus on some federal stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, just to, I guess, wrap things up, speaking of federal stuff, uh, I guess, I haven't heard much about it, but we are still following a uh, was it an appropriations bill, um, and uh, that's so it was an appropriations subcommittee. Yeah, it's it's like the subcommittee for agriculture and, and something really strange. Yeah, it's several agencies. Um, yeah, all in one. <laughs> I believe that might be moving to the full committee. We have an issue to call to action for that because it's not um, necessarily something that we're going to have an impact on. Um, I, I think a, the it's industry. A thing. Yeah, the the industry people are, are uh, somewhat tuned into that, and if you know, if they need our help, we're here. Um, but uh, again, that that's another bit of of code in, in the federal. Um, at the federal level that would uh, prevent the FDA from uh, ripping all of our products off the market because of, because of the grandfather date. Uh, and then of course, HR 2058. Um, I did notice last week we got an additional sponsor to that. Um, I saw that this is, this is at this point, this is predominantly a partisan bill. Uh, it's all Republicans on this. Um, so it would be really nice for those of you that live in, in, um, uh, districts represented by a Democrat to uh, put the put the screws to them and, and get them a little bit more motivated to save your life. Um, Somebody should see if Bernie Sanders will co-sponsor this. I don't think he will. I'm just saying. 
Yeah, yeah you know, the, the harm reduction argument, it, it should play better with, with the liberal crowd. Um, it and, uh, and that's, that's just a point we need to keep making. Uh, so, um, yeah, those are the two. And I believe, is it July 2nd is the deadline for our FDA workshop calls to action? I thought it was the second or the third. Well, there's still a few more days. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's put it that way. If I, if I have to sift through this, uh, let's see what we got here. Um, yes, July 2nd is the deadline for uh, submitting comment on the uh, last FDA workshop. e-cigarette workshops. Yeah. It's for all three. So we have, if, if you're just tuning into this now, um, we have three calls to action. There were three workshops. Um, you can submit your comments on any one of these three, and the deadline is July 2nd. Excellent. And that's that. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for everything you do for us, Alex. I, I, we really appreciate it. Um, if you've not already joined CASA, please head over to CASA.org and sign up. Um, we want to help you fight off ridiculous laws um, that preclude your ability to use tobacco harm reduction as you see fit without being unfairly taxed. Um, we are Casa Media on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Google Plus, um, and head on over to the uh, official Facebook page, the Casa.org Facebook page, or the We Are Casa Facebook group. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. Um, thank you for listening. Have a great night. Thank you, Alex. Thanks. Wow. Don't feel like I'm treading water. <laughs> What's up with that? Okay. So that wasn't too horrible. And it, at least we talked about other stuff. <laughs> sort of. Yes. In the middle. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Now I've got to get back to my show notes. Everything's all over the place. So, yeah, somebody was asking me yesterday, um, who, who does the UK have who's like Kassam? Like, never heard of the new Nicotine Alliance, have you? <laughs> yeah. Everybody acts so surprised. What do you mean? Yeah, well, here, have a link. <laughs> That's what I mean. Have a link, look around, you'll see what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Um, so more fun GCHQ news. Uh, <laughs> GCHQ and NSA broke antivirus software so they could spy on people, like Syndicate. <sighs> spy agencies intercepted emails about vulnerabilities so they could use them, according to reports. The British and American spy agencies deliberately broke antivirus software so they could read the message of their citizens, according to new leaks. 
both the NSA and GCHQ have long been said to have deliberately reverse engineered software so they could find weaknesses in software and exploit them to read communications. But new documents show the agencies did so to some of the most popular antivirus software, potentially exposing hundreds of millions of people to dangerous viruses, according to a report from The Intercept. The agencies reverse-engineered Kaspersky's Kaspersky's antivirus software so that they could see how it worked and ensure that it didn't keep them from looking through computers, according to the report. They also looked through emails that had been sent to the company flagging up viruses and vulnerabilities, The Intercept reported. Antivirus software picks up dangerous code of various kinds, including malware, that looks what that looks at what people are typing and doing that is often made by states as well as criminals. Attacking such software may have allowed the agencies to keep it from recognizing threats from government as well as exploiting known vulnerabilities to get in. That whole sentence made no sense to me. Software like Capraspy must also run with higher privileges on a computer because it must have access to the whole system to ensure that it's kept safe. Another person, like a criminal or government, having such access to it could use it to infiltrate the computer at a deep and dangerous level. GCHQ obtained a warrant for the reverse engineering because it might otherwise be considered unlawful, according to The Intercept, which saw the details of the request permission in files leaked by Edward Snowden. The Intercept says that the warrant is legally questionable on several grounds. <laughs> yeah. So shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. Oh, you're, you're, you're shocked? <laughs> I know. They do I it am. for our safety, honestly. <laughs> That's true. They do. They, they do it because they love us. That's why they want to murder yeah, reporters. Yeah. Yeah, they, they want to murder those nasty terrorists, and 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 to do so, they're quite happy to leave your computer wide open to security risks. You know, I mean that that stuff pisses me off. But you know, like okay, one of the most interesting stories I read from last week that I didn't drag over to here because it was like seventy-five pages, but it was all about um, the five people that Chris Christie was involved with the with their terrorism conviction okay mm-hmm. now those five people were entrapped by the FBI i know once again shocking right into committing or attempting to commit acts of terrorism cuz you know the FBI would never do that cuz they care about us and chris christie is all over this thing it 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 is the most disgusting case of corruption i've ever seen and there's this guy, I'm going to be president. No, 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 no. No, I mean, what we've got is is pretty fucking bad. But at least I don't know for certain. He's tried to get the FBI to turn people who had radical ideas into criminals. You, I know, have done that. Anybody who'd vote for somebody like that, it's just fucking stupid. That's as bad as voting for Bush. Bush, Bush part three. Well, yeah, I love the memes on Facebook at the minute. <laughs> Fool me once. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've seen it. Three I've, I've got it on my... That was, As yeah. soon as I saw it, I stuck it up on my Facebook page. <laughs> Vote for me once. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me once, shame on you. Um, fool me twice, shame on you. Vote for Bush. 
you're just vote for that bush and you're just an idiot. Yeah. So, which is very true. Um, I, I don't understand. How, where do they get these people from? Do they, <laughs> it's like they, they, they take a poll for the lowest of the low and they go, oh, you're, you're a horrible human being. You'd be a great president. You seem really stupid. Yeah. But I've, I've said it before, the, the generations of the Bush family, it's like the ascent of man picture in reverse. <laughs> yeah. It's... <laughs> they're getting worse. They are getting worse. They really are. I mean, you know, and, and each Bush has been success, su- successively dumber than the last one. It's just amazing to me they still retain the ability to walk, talk, and feed themselves. And I wonder what their offspring are like. They can't do multiple things at the same time. (laughs) If you ask them to walk, talk, and chew gum, I think they'd fall down. (laughs) No! You can't make me! Um, It's just kind of ridiculous. So, yeah. So, we talked about GCHQ. Um... Yeah, I don't think I want to talk about the U.S. Senate zero-day policy. It's just pretty terrible. Um, you know what? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm I'm doing the fun story now. I need to. <laughs> Do you, can you play the video from that? Oh yeah. Thank you. Well, you. You better explain what it is first. Okay, so. This, CNN, which is the lamestream media, uh, embarrassed itself once again by looking at a flag at a gay pride parade and saying it was an ISIS flag. Uh, it really wasn't. It's It looks, you know, similar in design, but you get a good look at this thing. It's clearly not an ISIS flag. It's butt plugs and dildos all over this flag. So uh, you just need to hear it. An unnerving sight today at a London Gay Pride celebration. An ISIS flag among a sea of rainbow colors. CNN International Simon Editor spotted the flag and was able to snap these pictures. Joining me on the phone from London is CNN's international Lucy Paul and CNN national security analyst Peter Bergen. So, Lucy, I want you to start off uh, explaining and describing what you saw and the reaction to it. Hi there, Suzanne. Yes, I was just leaving work, um, and I came across the Gay Pride March, an annual event in London where tens of thousands of uh, people march through London. It's a very jovial, light-hearted atmosphere, very happy atmosphere. And I was just uh, trying to cross Regent Street, one of the main shopping streets in London, and I had to stop because the, uh, the march was going down the, down the street when all of a sudden this man, quite distinctive from the rest of the crowd, he was mm. dressed in black and white, whereas everyone else was brightly colored, as you can see from the photos. Mm. This man dressed in black and white 
was waving what appears to be a very bad mimicry, but a very clearly a clear attempt to mimic the ISIS flag, the black and white flag with the distinctive lettering. I mean, if you look at the flag closely, <laughs> it's clearly not Arabic. In fact, it looks like it could be gobbledygook. Um, but it's very distinctive, the ISIS flag. Anyway, I seem to be the only person who had spotted this. Um, and nobody seems to be raising any questions or pointing it out. So I immediately went to an event organiser who said he didn't know anything about it. I also spoke to the police nearby who weren't aware either. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, there's not a lot you can say, really, is there? Uh, you know... We are a news program, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. And, and the worst part is, your people over there... Sorry, Very. They're supposed to be a little more educated than, you know... Cletus well, yeah, she, here. She probably, she probably got uh, turned down by Sky News. <laughs> which is her equivalent. Well, I, but... I, you know, I don't know much of anything, but looking at the picture, even I know what that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know it's fairly I mean? blatant, yeah. It, it's uh, it's a mainstream media fail, and, and how can you not love it when they really, really fuck up like this? It's the, it's the full coverage on CNN where they're <laughs> talking to the, the flag expert who keeps yeah. trying to point out to them it's a parody. Maybe it's a parody. Do you not think it could be a parody? But the, but the the anchor in the studio is like, oh, but it's terrible, ISIS. You're like, oh my god, you people are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just it looks like gobbledygook, really. I mean, maybe later it looks like gobbledygook, <laughs> but it doesn't right now. It'll have gobbledygook on it later. <laughs> It's not just me, but it's kind of reassuring to see the mainstream media fall on their face because they clearly don't know anything. I've seen them break into mainstream reports that are clearly, you know, important and say, oh, uh, I'm sorry, Madam Congressman, we have to stop for a minute. I know you're talking about the Affordable Health Care Act, but so-and-so just got married. How in the hell is that news? Well, I mean, it's not. this is them just trying to top the um, the one about the, oh, I can't remember the specifics, the aeroplane, or the pilot's names. Oh, God. <laughs> you remember that one? <laughs> I do. Yeah. They're all damn, obviously damn made bang up owl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're obviously trying to outdo that one. Uh, and they the dildo to... flag got, got brought in. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really terrible. It, yeah. it really is. I, and I'm not trying to make fun of gay people. More power to them. Um, but they should be offended that CNN knows nothing about them or their culture or, you know, and, and mistakes portions of their culture for portions of ISIS culture. I, I, oh, I'm just, it's offensive. It's all the way around. It's offensive. Their stupidity is offensive. Well, know. well, the one terrorist act I would now find incredibly amusing would be ISIS targeting <laughs> CNN because <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the CNN well, had attributed them to having a gay flag. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Could probably happen. just a matter I mean, of time. Some of these people are insane, so yeah. Well, <clears throat> they are all insane. They've been insane for a really long time, you know. The terrorists are insane, the journalists are stupid, the politicians <laughs> are a mixture of both. Uh, yeah, we're in a great state. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, at least some of us know something's going on, and it's not um, quite right. That's yeah. not kosher. That's not cool. And well, uh, um, on, on the one side, at least it was a different type of flag destruction. You know, I, I gotta tell you, I'm really, really sick of hearing about flags. It really <laughs> bothered me. What, what I think what I need to do is, every week I need to find the mainstream stories that took your attention away from these five stories. Yeah. And we really need to compare them in importance, because um, clearly I think the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, and some of the things that it entails, the TTP, the TTIP, uh, fast track, all of that has quite bad implications for our future and much worse than people being offended by a flag. Um, and I'm not saying that the flag can't be dealt with it. It can. It, it yeah. probably, I guess to some people it probably should be. But I almost think we're at this point well, we don't mention race. We don't mention sex. We we don't want to seem like we're being politically incorrect. But you, you can't have an honest conversation about some of these things without really addressing them. And we're not really addressing them. We're just taking bits and pieces of history away and acting like things have never happened. And how is that good for the future? Well... Yeah, this is what happens to history, though. It gets contorted. <laughs> well, yeah, it definitely does. So, I, let's see. So far, this week, one of the big distracting stories is that they want to change the $10 bill and put a woman on it. But they don't want to give her her own $10 bill. Um... They just wanted to share it with the president who now resides on the $10 bill. And they think it's it's a lovely gesture. And I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> the, we're, we're tramping down on everybody's civil liberties and, and their abilities to do things, have a life they would like to lead and, and money in their pockets because we're taking it all for taxation. But... We're pretending to give you something. I, I don't. I don't understand that at all. What do I know? <laughs> well, I know a damn. I know a damn lot more than that lady who called CNN. Yeah. I'll say that for myself. Um, the quote reporter. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's she's not a reporter, and um, if the government would like to classify her as belligerent, they can feel free. <laughs> Just saying. You can, uh, I, I, can, I just want to imagine the policeman she went up to. <laughs> they must have been trying so hard not to laugh their ass off. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you'd you think so. You really would. They were, they were probably looking across at the flag and going, yeah. 
Aha, uh -huh. you haven't looked at it, have you? You really haven't looked at it. <laughs> well, it's a knee-jerk reaction to <laughs> it, it had the it, it was flag-shaped and had the same colours. <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> could say that about a lot of things, I guess. Um, yeah. I'll say, wouldn't want to meet her, her socially. That, that would be a strain to have a conversation. <laughs> She, um, she, she seems unbright, at the very least. Um, you know what, I guess that's it for the evening. I, I, I have no will left in me to read anything else that <laughs> I stuck up, because I can't. Um, you know, anybody who's here probably knows my Facebook page. Anything else I was going to talk about is probably on there, if you're curious. Scroll down, you'll find something horrific. It's all there. That's not a quarter. <laughs> That's mean. A woman is already on the quarter. Not really, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. I like the Richard Gere here. Hair on the quarter. That's kind of nice. Um, I guess that's it. Effort. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. AmmoSeek.com Hey, what do you want to make a bet this show gets a freaking censored rating on iTunes? And Jeannie wasn't even here because we talked about ISIS and dildos. And, <laughs> and you just did it again. Hmm? And you just did it again there. Yeah. Whoops. Oh, well. Sorry, iTunes. Um, good night, guys. I'll see you next week. Have a good week. Bye.